In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Like some of you, early in the pandemic, my family adopted a dog, a second dog, a big dog, a highly energetic 12-month-old bloodhound mix with no sense of his size or personal space, and apparently with no training. Our efforts or failures to train him this year have colored how I'm seeing and hearing the Ten Commandments today as an expression of God's love. Not as requirements for God's love or justifications for punishment, not as rules intended to restrict people or exert power just because God can, but as an expression of God's commitment to relationship and to freedom and flourishing for all of God's beloved people. Yes, I know that's a big leap from my new dog to the Ten Commandments, so let me tell you more about Barney. All we know about him before his rescue is from a picture. It's a sad picture of this skinny dog chained up in a front yard somewhere. And when Barney first met us, and when we first met Barney, we fell in love with him at first sight, and we wanted to give him a good home. And we had big plans. We were going to take him on long walks and play with him for hours a day and let him play with our other dog for the other hours of the day. And of course, we were going to snuggle with him in the evenings and we were going to train him, train him well. But our training went something like this. Five different people with different ideas and messages about what he was and wasn't allowed to do. Sometimes one person with five different messages all at once, which no doubt contributed to his confusion. And then we got busy and training became less and less fun, especially when he barked a lot or pulled on walks or lunged at other dogs on walks or snatched food out of your hand or worse, snatched food out of a guest's hand. After weeks of this, we became less eager to spend that good focused time with him, which is sad because next to eating, what matters most to Barney is being with his people and making his people happy. Now, don't worry, we haven't given up, not at all. On the contrary, we see now that we weren't doing Barney any favors by giving him so many different messages and so few boundaries that for his well-being and for his relationship with us, we needed to admit what we didn't know, probably get help. And we needed to get clear with Barney and with ourselves, and we needed to double down on this training. But now we knew what's involved in that. It takes time and a lot of effort and consistency and persistence and faithfulness. It's a labor of love. 
And it's a labor that my whole family and I are committed to because we love Barney and he's ours. So yes, Barney is giving me a new perspective on the Ten Commandments. Maybe they, along with all of God's will, are God's labor of love, God's gift of training so that we, God's people, might have life and have it abundantly. They're part of this great love story of God, of the God who desires relationship and is committed to being with God's people, no matter where they go or what they go through. And it just so happens that God's people, the Israelites, are going through a lot when we get to this point of that great love story. In Exodus, the Israelites have had this dramatic escape from Pharaoh. And more recently, they've been wandering around in the wilderness. They are on their way to the promised land and becoming a holy nation, but it hasn't been easy going. They've run out of food. They've run out of water. They've been attacked by the Amalekites. They've gotten weary, discouraged. They've complained and they have wished that they never left Egypt. But at every turn, God has provided for them and delivered them and guided them all the way to the foot of this Mount Sinai. And it's here in the wilderness, while they're still being royal pills, it's here on their way to a new home and a new identity that God reveals these 10 words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's where these laws for the Israelites, for God's people's new life together begin. They begin with God with who God is and what God has done already. God has already delivered this people from bondage and God has already claimed them as God's own. And so these commandments, they're not for God, but for these people, for their flourishing and for their freedom. Now, I know there are a lot of reasons that we may not be inclined to associate law with freedom. For one, we may be inclined to confuse respect for God's law with legalism. Legalism, which is an approach to rules that puts them in the place of God, as if following them could guarantee salvation or not following them were a sure sign of damnation. As if rules or absolutes could save us from the hairy territory of discernment and dependence on the grace of God. But the fact is that we can't interpret or apply these commandments without God's help. 
without community and without the whole story of the Bible, especially for us Christians, the story of God in Jesus Christ. This was really driven home to me several years ago in seminary when I took a semester-long class on the Ten Commandments and discovered how much complexity and even ambiguity there can be in them. You shall not murder, of course. And what that means, conversely, is that you shall value life. But what does that mean in the case of a soldier's duty or self-defense or defense of someone else who's in danger? What does that mean when it comes to capital punishment or indifference to someone whose poverty or abuse will kill them if not interrupted? Or take the Sabbath. What about those who work on Sunday or don't have the luxury of time away? What's actually allowed on Sabbath? Can you fix dinner? Can you pluck grain? Sabbath has gotten a bad rap as a day of thou shalt nots or knows. But what if it's really a day of yeses? What if Sabbath is really about God's yes to us and our yes to God? Yes, you shall rest. Yes, you shall be renewed. Yes, you shall be free. Free to listen to, to worship the God who frees you from all those other voices that would keep you in bondage. What if... We thought of all the commandments this way, as God's gift of training. Not training as a program of spiritual or self-improvement or rigor or athleticism, but rather training as time together. Training as teaching us and helping us learn to listen, to discern which voice to heed. Training in the sense of letting God be in charge. Now, no bones about it. Yes, that pun was intended. No bones about it. That training can be challenging spiritual work. If you've ever tried to keep the Sabbath, you've probably found yourself getting distracted or running away. In fact, if you really, really think about the commandments as a whole, you realize that there's no way to keep them perfectly. You shall not covet. Really? I don't know anyone who's never done that. But God is persistent, consistent, and faithful. And God never gives up on us. So even our inability to fulfill the commandments perfectly becomes another means of grace. When we get distracted, get pulled away, when we trip up, when we sin, we remember by the grace of God that God is God and we are not. And we confess and repent and return to God and try again. And our relationship gets just a tiny bit 
stronger. Isn't this why we hear the Ten Commandments during Lent? These laws and this season are both vessels for reflection and repentance, or vessels, means of discipline and training, training in that good and loving sense. They are both a gift from God, a gift for the sake of restoring us to ourselves, to right relationship, to the God who already loves us. They are a gift for our flourishing and freedom, a gift, as the psalmist says, that revives the soul, rejoices the heart, and gives light to the eyes. And for that great gift, we give thanks to God. Amen.